Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fucknicks, what the fucksters? What's happening? I just switched it up. I switched it up. Did you notice? I switched it up to what the fuck uh, things. Trying to keep it fresh. I'm exhausted. I'm fucking exhausted. I was in and out of sleep all last night. Had some weird dream that involved Jeff Sessions. I don't know what the dream was, but I I heard a voice in my left ear, and I've only heard that one other time that clearly as if it was waking me up it sounded like this crime crime and the only other time i heard that voice was when i was strung out on cocaine in los angeles having a psychotic meltdown hearing voices in my head and in the same ear a voice said uh get out how far out can i go i asked it you've gone far enough crime so what does that mean how you doing you all right how was your night crime dennis quaid is on the show yes that dennis quaid that we all sort of grew up with and he's grown up with us Uh, i've been seeing him on screen since breaking away he's here i was excited to talk to him because he's one of those guys where oddly i've seen a lot of his fucking movies and he's got a new movie out it's a i don't know if you call it a thriller or a horror movie but I watched it, and it was pretty scary. Uh, the new it's called uh, the new movie is called The Intruder. It's in theaters now, and he's also in a very different film where he doesn't play a psychopath. A Dog's Journey. Watch the range of Dennis Quaid. So that's coming up. I'm talking to Dennis Quaid. So let's read some emails because that's always fun. Let's lighten it up. Subject line: Ha 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 ha! Fart talk. Welcome to morning radio, Mark. This could not have been more appropriately timed. I'm about to pick up my college-aged daughter, who is proudly the owner of the nastiest gas. As a mother, I'm constantly reminded that this younger generation doesn't have the same hang-ups as ours, and this is such a funny example. Thanks for the laugh. I'm going to replay the intro just for her. Angie, you matter. I'm so glad that I'm bringing parents together with their kids. They're going to have a good laugh. Maybe both of them will start farting in the car and uh, don't get into an accident. This was fun. Uh, subject line, interviewing older ladies, country music. Have listened for nine years. Look forward to Mondays and Thursdays because of that. Two things. One, when you interview older women, e.g. Sissy Spacek, Jane Fonda, you 
interject a ton more yeahs, uh-huhs, or just general grunts while they're talking. I'm guessing it relates to your impatience when talking with your mom. It's obnoxious. Please cut it out. Two, this is where he tries to save it. Merle Haggard's If I Could Only Fly album, Simple and Beautiful, maybe give it a listen. Like he's, he thinks he's going to slide that in with me. Like, I'm going to attack your style. And then like, but we're still buddies, right? Thanks for what you do, Scott. So I wrote back, I think if you listen, I do that with everyone. Sounds like your issue, maybe with your mom. Yeah, I went ahead and hit send on that one. I hit send. You know how they say, take a pause? No pause. Boom. He wrote back, you never know what's going to happen. That could open up a portal to someone's innards that could go on for paragraphs. But nope, Scott just hit me right back. Well played. you damn fucking right it was, Scott. I went and saw a play. That's a P-L-A-Y. I know I say it like pray, play. I went and saw a play last night called the wolves here at the echo theater company in los angeles i don't generally go to theater in los angeles but i did this is about a i, I think it's a, a young it's not i don't know if they're young they're teenagers right teenagers soccer team and it all takes place on the field over the course of several different matches with some interstitial stuff some blackouts some interesting moments with the actresses but uh but I didn't know what to expect. It was a little theater. There's no intermission. Now, as an older gentleman, you do worry about uh, the pee problem. You know, it's like, I, I guess I'm at an age now where I'm like, oh, should I have drunk that soda? Like, how much of my night is going to be ruined because I can't go pee? I almost peed in my car the other day. I'm not proud of it. It happened in England and it happened here. Did I tell you about that? Did I tell you about what happened in San Diego with the P thing? <laughs> I, you know, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes there are moments in life where you realize I'm not afraid. I have courage. I'm not going to take any shit. I don't have to take any shit. I was driving to San Diego and it was getting dicey and there was nowhere to get off. There was traffic heading in and I'm holding in pee. This is not, an, it was not, I don't think there's a, a physiological problem. I just had a pee and I was in a car and, and there was nowhere to go and there was traffic. So I'm like, and I'm gunning it to where I, the hotel is. I don't know exactly which hotel I'm at yet. And I just park in front of this one and I, it wasn't the hotel I was staying at. And I walk in because I figure I can get away with this. It's a lobby situation. Where's the men's room? And they're like, you got to use the one in the restaurant next door. So I go through and it's connected to the hotel lobby. I open the door. The restaurant's not quite open yet. And uh, there's a they're, they're setting up the waiters there. And I go, dude, where's the men's room? And he's like, uh, hey, it's only for customers. And I looked at him. And I said, I'm fucking going. And he saw it in my eye. He saw it. I'd like to think he was afraid of my power, but I just think he was like, this old guy's in trouble and I'm, I'm not going to step in here. So I went and I peed and I got out and I, I went to hand him a few bucks. I'm like, here, take it, man. Take it. If, if, if that's your trip, man, if whatever you just did there, if that's the extent of your power, it's for customers only. Why, why do you think, I, you know, do you think I want to be in this situation? I'm a grown ass fucking man. Do you think I want to be 
like you know at the point I'm at now with you for customers only have here, here's a couple bucks buddy you know what I mean thanks for for not getting in my way because you, you could have just you could have stiff armed me you could have tackled me no no it's for customers only and I'm like it's too late now you feel that wetness on your leg that's because I'm peeing in my pants and you're on top of me holding me down who wins here take a couple bucks buddy you want to take a couple bucks no man you don't have to do that all right i'm just trying to you know thank you could have gotten ugly what was i talking about so i go to this theater thing and it was great it was moving like i didn't know where it was going to go it was uh you know it, it, it was de- it's one of those plays where it's sort of like is this the way it's going to be this whole you know six to eight women you know talking like they're you know, kicking around a soccer ball or however many what i don't know it, but and they're talking and they're talking about things that teenage girls talk about but they're also talking about genocide and they're talking about periods and they're talking about boys and they're, but it all just evolves in a very subtle way and it all takes place around you know kicking around a soccer ball waiting to play and it just evolves into this thing that becomes very deep and very moving and it was beautifully performed by all the performers and uh there's a twist at the end where it just kind of fucks you right in the head and right in the guts and you're crying and um it was really tremendous and look it's it's uh i just wanted to give you a heads up because it closes today so but it was good it was good so if you want to tell your friends about it uh you can tell them that i said it was good wow am i napping I feel like I just took a nap. Was I awake through that? This is all a dream. Did you hear a guy say crime right in your ear? Crime. Are we all dreaming? Nope. Hey, I'm going to talk to Dennis Quaid. This has been a stream of consciousness shit show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Dennis Quaid is an actor. You might know him from many movies. Um, The the Rookie, um, The Right Stuff, Breaking Away, the big easy uh the long riders remember that one where all the brothers were in it the quaid brothers the Carradine brothers christopher guest has a brother they brought him in walter hill movie i'll ask him about that uh the new movie is the intruder that's in theaters now and he's also in a very different type of film <laughs> a dog's journey which opens on may 17th this is me and dennis quaid he brought his dog he brought his bulldog that's the first time a guy shows up at my house with his dog He's like, is that okay? I'm like, not really. I've got three cats in the house. I don't think that, I don't see how this is going to work out. He's like, ah, just can we leave him somewhere, leave her somewhere. I'm like, I don't know. And and then I realized that my yard is actually enclosed and I could have a dog if I want. And we put his dog out there and it worked out. It was a bulldog, kind of a small, mid-sized bulldog. I guess they come in sizes, bulldogs. You can order small, medium, or large. His was a medium-sized bulldog. I think it was called that. What kind of dog is that? It's a medium bulldog. You can get it in small, medium, large, extra large. And those are the ones that they can barely walk because they're, they're, they're hobbled. And like, isn't it adorable? I don't know. It looks crippled. Is that adorable? Anyway, this is me and Dennis. Mm-hmm.
Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Wait. It's a little odd to walk people up into the house, you know, past the bedroom and you know there's it's a, what it is man yeah it's the future of entertainment that's right well so how it's do you, the now of entertainment the now yeah did you have you done some other home uh, home-based podcasts well i'm actually uh executive producing and um narrating a podcast with uh, t-bone burnett and bob dylan and uh i just had t-bone over here Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. And Jared Goodstadt. Jared Goodstadt? Yeah. Who's that? Jingle Jared. Have you Jingle. ever heard of him? No. Wait, but you're going to do it with Bob and T-Bone? Well, Bob is contributing a song. And, oh, okay. Uh, a Pooh Bear. Do you know who Pooh Bear is? No. Who's He's that? A musician. I, I, should, I feel like I should know He's him. A, he's I, mostly a writer-producer yeah. uh, these days. He did uh, uh, the American version of it, like Despacito, and he has a couple of other real hit songs that, you know, with Justin Bieber. Oh, okay. A lot of them. Produces his records, yeah. stuff like that. So, like, T-Bone, he was one of the last guys out in the garage before I had to do the construction. Yeah. But his ex-wife, it's not Sam, is it? Yes, it is. Yeah, oh. Sam Phillips. Sam Phillips yeah. lives around the corner. I just ran into her husband. No kidding. I ran into her husband yesterday. He introduced myself, himself to really? me. Really? And she grew up here, so he like knew the neighborhood. Oh, and that's like, incredible! His daughter lives over here. Then I guess too? so. Yeah, they had a daughter together. I think yeah. she's about like nineteen, twenty, something like that. All you, you all your kids are getting older. Yeah, don't okay. you? Well, have young kids too, don't you? I have eleven year olds and twenty seven year old. But T Bone and I yeah. go back for forty two, forty three years. Isn't when that I first wild? came out to L A. He was one of the first people I met. Really? Yeah, he uh, was helping my brother to audition for the Buddy Holly story. For and, the lead? Yeah, for yeah. Buddy Holly. And uh, then later on, I married, my first wife was PJ Souls, yeah. who, who used to be married to Stephen Souls, uh, who was in the Alpha Band yeah. with T-Bone. Oh, they wow. were the backup band for uh, Dylan at the time. For the Rolling Al Thunder. The Alpha Band, yeah, and the Rolling Thunder Review. Yeah. So uh, we used to go to a lot of Dylan concerts. And, uh, then T-Bone was the producer of uh, Great Balls of Fire music. He did that whole movie. Yeah. Where you played Jerry Lee Lewis. Yes. Did you have to deal with Jerry Lee Lewis? On a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> now, You're recording, by the way? I hope sure. so. Oh, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, what year was that? I mean, I can check if you don't remember. Uh, that uh, was 1986 or 7, I think. And that's why I remember that movie. It's a good movie. And it's a tough role to play because he's uh, he's a deep, dark well Yes. And uh yeah. and like but there's also the pop star side of it. 
Yeah, and you know the beginnings of rock and yeah. roll, and uh, the, you know the 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 movie was done to to be like a summer uh, release movie. Yeah, you know? yeah. But then if you really start thinking about it, and they kind of made it into you know very kind of pop music, yeah. very accessible type of thing, and stayed away from most of the dark stuff. Yeah, but and that's if you really think about it, right. you know, you're going to drop your kids off at the theater to yeah. go see a story about a 21 year old guy marrying a 12 year old girl right yeah in, in the southern way <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and uh you and know that's, big, that's, that's that's kind of a tough ask i think but the the film uh, you know looking back at it now it uh it, it's kind of a it, infectious it, it it grows on you sure I, well i mean like i i was sort of fascinated with him and the fact that he's still alive and he's still making records and like some of those guys like there's collections that like they they never stop recording. There's hundreds yeah. of recordings. I don't know where they found the time. Right. Well, but, they, of course they all, they always find the time. You know, musicians. You know, when you're at that they're always recording. Right. They'd rather record than go on tour. So they're just in the studio hanging around. In the studio, just whatever comes to mind. They'll go in and cover. You do cover songs. They'll go in. I mean, these days it's very collegial. Everybody's working with everybody else and getting in. It's on, easier, just too. like social media. They're getting in on each other's yeah. social media. They, you know, they invite somebody who's up and coming, or you invite uh, an old established guy to into your song. Sure, to, you don't know, give you street cred or whatever. Right, and it's also easier without the um, without tape. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Like, oh, everybody's got a studio, just like you in their house. Yeah, and it's, you, can, you yeah. can do good quality shit. Right. So when you okay, so like you've only done that a couple of times, I guess, where you actually play a real person. No, a whole bunch of times. Really? Yeah, like, I'd say maybe a quarter of my roles have been real people. Is it that seems true? Like, like uh, it seems like it. At I mean, this I know. Like I played Gordo, Gordo Cooper, Cooper, and I played Doc Holliday. I played oh, Jimmy right. Morris, uh, the pitcher and the rookie. Oh, that uh, was a real guy. But yeah. Doc Holliday, you can't hang out with. I mean, you could hang out with Gordo, yes. right? And you could hang out with Jerry Lee Lewis, right? Yes. But when you're hanging out with Jerry Lee Lewis, what? what I mean, he must have been a pain in the ass on some level. Uh, Not in a bad say, way. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'll say this because, you know, he. It, it sometimes it almost seemed that there was a little bit of the 14-year-old bully schoolyard in there. Yeah, but, sure. But that's him. He has, you know, a, 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 a learned sort of... Uh, I won't call it suspicion, but right. you know he kind of checks people out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but he's also just a very generous uh, human being. He was one of my piano teachers. Really? Yeah, and we we did a video <laughs> together. I have such respect for him. Did he teach you how to play like Jerry Lee Lewis? A little bit. It's yeah. all about the left hand, right? But he was also on the set every day. Uh, at, he was over my shoulder, going, "You get it wrong, son." <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, that sounds about right so we're like it's weird when i got to interview a guy who i feel like i grew up with you know in the sense that like you're very familiar to me mm -hmm. you know from uh, all the roles going back to like you know breaking away and then like you're just always sort of there you've always been there yeah you know? and and now like it, these like it's these insurance company commercials insurance yeah, yeah. they're kind of funny they're, they're surprisingly painless aren't yeah. they they are. Well, I like the <laughs> the sort of inside idea of it. Yeah, you know, like you're sure like, to like show lift the veil to be transparent. Yeah, yeah. But, but the weird thing is, is like in a time where you know I don't think a lot of people are watching a lot of television. You're like all over the place. Like you know, I, yeah. Like you're all of a sudden this familiar presence to everybody on a very immediate level. You know, every yeah, day. Yeah, I think that's you know, finally at the end of the day, uh, there's someone from just about every generation at. 
it's kind of transgenerational it's yeah. for a different movie you right. know it could be Dragonheart, yeah or it could be dreamscape going further back you know for the snake uh that i have pe- my parent trap kids yeah uh, the rookie, you know, the, is another one, and in uh, the company, what was that other one? The good company, good company. I love that movie. Yeah, but the, the certain generations yeah. that were kids when right. they saw the film, the kids grow up. Right. Yeah. So, and then and, and get them as kids, you got them. Yeah. Right. And they remember you forever. <laughs> kids have better memories than adults. Right. And it <laughs> sticks in there. Yeah. Yeah. But like, where do you come from originally? I come from Houston, Texas. Really? Yeah. First twenty years uh, Houston. in Houston. Yeah. So your family's like Texan. Yeah. Or. Houston is sometimes referred to as West Louisiana. Uh-huh. Oh, really? <laughs> There's a lot of Louisiana people there. That's for sure. And are they from Louisiana? Uh, Your people? Uh, well, going way back with that, but my dad was from uh, Oklahoma. He he grew up in uh, Oklahoma the first five years of his life. Uh, in fact- uh, Cowboys? Oil? Uh, more reservation uh, type. And uh, my uh, my cousin is Gene Autry. Really? Third cousin. Yeah, he was my grandfather's first cousin. No kidding. Yeah. So the well, he's the singing cowboy, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> he was also on the Angels the, at, and uh, KTLA. Uh-huh. Uh, he's probably, I would say Gene Autry, you know, dollar for dollar, uh, you can make a case that he was probably the richest man in show business all time. For a uh, relative to- well, He know, wrote right? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just that, <laughs> as Frosty the Snowman. He wrote Frosty the Snowman? Yes, along with a couple of things. And then he had a very successful career as a singing cowboy, and then he bought yeah. KTLA Channel 5 here in Los Angeles, and that was back in the day of early television when there was no East-West uh, Coast hookup. Sure. And so uh, Channel 5 broadcast to the entire Western United States. Yeah. It was... Like basically a network, right? It was huge, and uh, of course he owned all the land too that went under it. He yeah. bought a bunch of land in Anaheim, and uh, he built. You know, that's the Angels played there, and he owned owned that. No kidding. So if you take it for dollar for dollar, the guy. Did you was, meet the guy? I finally met him in uh, the opening of Wyatt Earp. He came to that. How old was he? Uh, by the time I think he was in his nineties, wow. uh, maybe he lived a very long time. Yeah, great. Great human being, and it was your grandfather's first cousin. Yeah, that's wild. And you're, and they're from Oklahoma, but then you have people from Louisiana, and then people from Texas. Yeah, basically. And, and like, what's your, what's your, what was the family's business? Uh, my dad was an electrical contractor, and you know had his own business. Yeah. Um, he, but he was also a frustrated actor, and uh, and he was crooning around the house all the time. His Elvis was Bing Crosby. Oh, really? And you know, yeah, and yeah. Dean Martin and uh, Frank Sinatra. But he never really. He didn't actually perform. He didn't like. He wasn't a guy that. Yeah, he would go down to you know the piano bars. Oh, like he would. He used to, yeah, he loved he loved to do that. He was always doing routines. Yeah. He introduced my brother and I uh, to acting. Really, you know, by pointing out actors on television and uh, Laurel and Hardy and all those bits, you know, and uh, uh, that's probably where we got the where we got the bite. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You think? And uh, How, what's the age difference between you guys? Three and a half years. It's not that much. Yeah. Then my mom's from East Texas, which and, means well, that would be uh, very country. Yeah. East Texas. My, my grandfather. Yeah. Uh, came to Texas in 1901 in a covered wagon. Really? <laughs> from Tennessee. Yeah. From the south. 
Yeah. So he thought, like, it's all right across. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what was he doing? What did he do? Well, he was uh, set up basi- shop. Uh, he basically kind of scraped all his life. He was a, he was a roughneck on oil wells. Yeah. Uh, and which is a very tough job. Sure. You know, because uh, my, his wife had died, my mom's mom, and you know he had to scrape it, scrape it together with the kids. And he was a cotton farmer for a while. He was a tent preacher for a while. Uh, sold Bibles door to door. Isn't that weird? That his like, last job was yeah. a guard in uh, an Austin insane asylum, huh. and then his wife's his second wife's uh, father died, and left those kids some land, and he hocked his Buick. And he used to be, you know, a roughneck on on oil rigs. Yeah, and he knew what was around, and oh, really? it was you know during the late fifties. Yeah, and uh, what do you know? They struck oil, of course, and uh, he went to being worth you know zero to like two million dollars, just oh, like my. that, just because his wife's kids inherited the land, and yeah. he was like, let's let's take a look under there. Yes. Got to be something under there. Well, it's, he actually they wanted to sell it, so he. He bought the the oil uh, oil rights to it. That's that's a good story. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there was a time where people could just decide to be preachers. They, they, yeah. it didn't require well, any you training. could still do, no, it's, you could still do that. In fact, even more than ever now with social media and yeah. podcasts, yeah, you could decide to be a preacher. But you could make a, a a go at it. You could make a living if you were entertaining enough, right? That it was really a performance trip, right? Yes, and yeah. you can even call yourself doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was he a doctor? Uh, no, no, he didn't. No, he was not. So you guys are. I just like Texas. I grew up in New Mexico, but it's definitely not Texas. And I like Houston. Like Houston's become kind of a weird, eclectic city. It's very spread yeah, out. Yeah, it like, always has been. Though. Really? Yeah, re- really. You know, it's always had that Cowtown stamp on it or whatever. Right. But it's it always has been a very. It was a great town to grow in, in for music. Oh yeah, you, know, you had all kinds. You know. It was a big city, so you got uh, a, a lot of different kinds of music, for different influences. And music's important because here. It's, you play, you know, right? It's in the East Texas, yeah. and so you you get that Texas uh, rock and roll and that sure. and the Western swing thing. And yeah. then you Louisiana you know, invites the you know the get Cajun, the swamp, Cajun that Zydeco yeah. influence, yeah. and uh, then it's cosmopolitan. So and know, still, I.E. Got- my dad was singing Bing Crosby and Dean Martin, but also you get uh, some of that conjunto music. The accordion yes. Mexican music, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was a great place to grow in for for music. It was like a you know, music gumbo down there. And you're a guitar player, yes. And uh, were, did, did that start before the acting? I, yeah, of course. It, yes, yeah. yes, it did. Uh, when I was about twelve, my grandfather actually uh, bought me my uh, first guitar. It was like a twelve dollar guitar from Western Auto. Oh, <laughs> from Western <laughs> Auto with, with nylon <laughs> strings. <laughs> and uh, I, I tried to learn uh, light my fire. It was that was the first to, one? To, yeah, to try to learn it. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's not too tough. That actually, it's, is when it? you're first learning, that's not a great one to uh Oh, those are kind of rough chords. You have, like, you have some, you have some bar chords, chords right, that you yeah, have yeah, to yeah. hit there, and you you're, you don't have the muscles for that. So, yeah. so were you in, like, did, were you in rock bands? Uh, we had, we, we called them combos back in like in the 60s, you know, like from seventh grade I had. You were uh, in a combo? Yeah, it was a way of getting girls, you know. Sure. That's, what, that's what a lot of people say. Because it wasn't. You know, I wasn't uh, big enough to be in on the football team or anything right. like that. Oh, really? That. You and that's how I wound up in the drama room, basically. But what about, so your brother, was at, was he also in the music? Um, he was more into stand-up comedy. Really? As a, yeah, as a kid, kind of growing up. And in fact, had a really great, with Trey Wilson. Do you remember Trey Wilson? He was in uh, 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 Raising Arizona. He was 
Raising Arizona, you know, oh, the yeah, unfinished yeah. furniture guy. Yeah, he's great. And he was also Sam Phillips in uh, Great Balls right, of Fire. Right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, we, well, we were all at the University of Houston, and he had a, a stand-up, uh, Quaid and Wilson. That they were in a team? Incredible, yeah. And they came out here, and they would be at the comedy store when they first came out here. Really? Yeah, this is back I in the no early idea. 70s. Re- like right yeah. when the comedy store was uh, you know, Re- in its heyday. I guess, I guess so. And that's how he got in. Yeah. Was doing stand-up. Yeah, and he had a little apartment right behind the, the comedy store over there on Sunset. I had no idea <clears throat> that Randy Quaid was a comic. Yeah, but he didn't come here for that. He, he, but he did. Uh, yeah. He, uh, they were they came through Texas uh, when they did Last Picture Show, casting, because yeah, right. they wanted local casting for the Peter Bogdanovich, you know, authenticity and yeah. the accents and everything. And they went to the colleges and... Uh, Randy was at the University of Houston, and he was doing uh, he the got acting a part. thing. Was he yeah, doing, he was he was you in know the acting majoring program? in acting uh-huh. yeah, in the acting program. No, I there. remember the part. He played the sort of dorky mm-hmm. rich kid. Yeah, I did it last Easter. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> and uh, and then Bogdanovich called him up a year later and said, "Come out here and have, do this little role uh, with Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill in uh, What's Up, Doc," and that was his. You know, ticket out to L.A. and, and you were stayed, st- and you were and you were just get starting college. I at was that time? Uh, see, so uh, I was still in high school when he got those yeah. roles. Yeah, how's he doing, by the way? Uh, he's doing all right. Yeah, he's doing fine. He's doing okay. Okay, I'd like to see him work. Yeah, that's what I'd like to see him come back and do some more work. And I think a lot of other people would too. Uh, he's a great actor. He's one of my five favorite actors. No, he's I mean, a great he cracked actor. me up he's all a- the time growing up. You know, no, he was. He's always been great. And the, the last detail is one of the uh, great movies. Incredible. He's great in that. Yeah. Well, as long as he's okay. But, uh, so, okay, so you saw he had success with it, and then you just decided to follow suit, or you were already heading that way? Well, I was kind of uh, torn between music and um, and and acting. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I was in the high school, and I wasn't really in you the drama department. You were in the jock and I, Like I said, I tried to it's a rite of passage to go out for the football team in Texas. And you were too small? And I was basically, yeah, I was kind of loud. I weighed like 130 pounds. Because you, know, you I, seem pretty athletic now. Well, now, and, yeah. you know, <laughs> I've played a lot of football players, <laughs> baseball players. <laughs> That's no, how you, you got know? in shape? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, I, you know, I definitely wasn't going to make it. So that's how I wound up in the drama room yeah. with all the girls. And and was that the last time, like, um, in terms of continuing to study? Because I was talking to my my producer about this. There's not a lot of guys like you who are around anymore who can do sort of anything, you know, as an actor. Like you 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 know, you're your own thing, but you can, your range is insanely uh, broad. Yeah. Well, I think you also got to give you know the younger guys time to you know age, mature, and grow up and get get experience. You know, yeah, it, it just comes through experience i never had any strategy in my career except to try as many different types of things as possible but in terms of training did you continue to work on that stuff i mean as well, you got when over- i was at the university of houston there was this great acting teacher which was the reason i was there and my brother was there too uh and trey and a lot of people because of uh, mr pickett yeah and he taught acting as a craft uh-huh. and i was torn between music and and acting and and you know, I saw my brother's success, which made it real that you can actually get jobs out yeah. here. It wasn't some faraway world, right. Hollywood. Right. My mind was, and uh, I wasn't serious in high school. But then when I got into Mr. Pickett's class, within the first week, I knew what I wanted to do with my life, 
and it's a real gift for an 18, 19 year old kid. And that what what was so inspirational about that guy? Because he taught acting as a craft, and you know I was uh, very much into human behavior and psychology, and uh-huh. that's really what acting is. And he sort of made that apparent by being observant of people, of of creating a character sort of from the outside in, yeah. and the outside will tell you what's going on with that person on the inside. That's how it works. Yeah. For well, you. that's that's just one of the things. But you know, it wasn't like a method method class. He wasn't like that. It well, that, that he was well, basically that's sort uh, of the opposite of the yeah, method. Yeah, and, and he had uh, you know constructive criticism. He could be brutal, and but he taught it as a craft, and it gave you a space to really learn and uh, and fail. That's really the the space to fail rather than being out here getting jobs and failing. <laughs> Right on camera, right. you know, you get to fail in a, in a in a in a class doing a scene, and then come and then work on it, and come back and do it again, and you learn by trial and error. And so you, know, you work from experience. Like, you work from the outside. So has that stayed with you? That kind of outside in. Because, like, I I believe that's true, that if it's on the page, you know, and you do what's on the page, you'll find who you're supposed to be, right? Yeah. Well, that was another thing that he taught is, you know, it's what. Uh, what does the playwright say yeah. about the character? What right. does the character say about himself? What do, what do other people say about the character? You know, what what are his actions uh-huh. and uh, his motivations, basically? You yeah, know? and how does that fit into the spine of the play or the story that you're the story you're thinking about? So right. I always thought, sort of like mythically, right? In every role I've taken, you know, no matter how silly the part is, yeah, and uh, it's become. Over the years, I mean, I used to write everything down, and and uh, but over the years, it's become more like osmosis. A what what did you kind of seeps in there? What you did know? you write down? Oh, uh, I would, you know, I would write all that stuff like down, a, like a backstory. For yeah, me? yeah, and, you know, a whole history and stuff like that. Now it's just something I just kind of, I don't know. It just it's become so much a part of me that it's like I said, it's just like. Osmosis, it but you just do, seeps in, but, and uh, I just find myself doing it, and I I let go a lot more uh-huh. than I used to. Well, this like this role, I don't know that I've seen you um, in the Intruder, the new movie. Like, I don't think I've seen you be this horrifying. <laughs> 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 that, that that part was just letting go, to tell you the truth. <laughs> of course, I may have had I, I may have had about two or three people, and you know that I've met in life. I may have had them sort of in my mind. Yeah. But uh, but, like, yeah, never, but it's still me uh, back there actually kind of no. having a, a nice laugh, to tell you the truth. Sure, but I mean, yeah, I, like, so am I fun. wrong? Isn't this the most evil fuck that you've, like, just... <laughs> yeah, I would guess so. The, uh, yeah, I would as, guess so. As, as, yeah. Like a psychopath. I'm usually the warm and fuzzy guy. Well, as, no, you've as, played as, some slimy yeah, dudes. I know, but, and you've, uh, you know, but this guy's straight who, up psychotic. Who was, who was that? <laughs> <laughs> who was one of the more slimy characters you played? Uh well, the guy, the oh, uh, traffic, the lawyer, yeah, in the lawyer in traffic, for sure, yeah, yeah, and that but was, he wasn't necessarily a villain. He was no, he was, he was basically just a uh, slimy lawyer, a bag man, really, yeah, right, yeah. right, a comp- morally yeah. compromised yeah. fellow. Yeah, but this guy in the Intruder is like like menacing and horrible. Yeah. Like, what was that fucking thing you were doing with your teeth? I don't want to spoil anything, but like, you know, what was that? You were there's a moment where you're on the bed and you're just kind of looking at your teeth oh. before, like, oh, yeah, the, the, he was just a, obsessed. Uh, he's OCD. No, OCD and it, like, the, OCD yeah, is and, the, and that had to do with really kind of making sure everything was just flashy clean, even though he lived in filth. Yeah, <laughs> but so that was just an impulse you had. 
Yeah, just <laughs> you know, to check your teeth. They just needed they needed uh, like you stuff. Know, some stuff. They just, just shoot him here and you know in his space. And we, it wasn't even scripted, so we just right. kind of like made it up as we went along. Well, I noticed it and it was creepy. They are, they, yeah, they don't show up, but I actually had my hair like in a Hitler haircut. <laughs> oh, really? They didn't want to go overboard. <laughs> yeah, there was a few things they wanted to pull back from, and because you know I, I have this tendency, I, I'll go out there and just go because it's much easier to pull back than it is to to add is what I kind of think and so I would have uh, uh, you know actors don't really know what's too much sometimes that's what a director's for right. and, and Dion's such a great director you know, and uh, just said you know I asked him at the beginning just please just pull me back if you see me going a little too far with this because it's easy with this part well they, right because you got a lot of leeway yeah you're a psychopath yeah yeah you do that you want yeah you're the 800 pound gorilla so like going back though um what, like, what were the first movies for you like the before breaking away there was a few uh, before breaking away I, I came out of here and i spent uh so right after college you come out here yeah i come out of uh well i I didn't even finish college. I went two and a half years there because I was going to be an actor. That's and the reason you, I went. And you got enough. You're like, yeah, I, get it. I get it. Degree was not really going to do me much good out there in Hollywood. <laughs> it didn't so, matter. Yeah. But you felt like you learned enough. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, um, I, it was time for me to go. So I came out and uh, sent my picture to every uh, agent in town. And got turned down, and uh, the, so I started calling up casting directors. Were you living with your brother? I uh, was for the I was on his couch for about the first couple of months. In fact, uh, then I my very first movie set I was on. Uh, Randy was doing Missouri Breaks, Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson. I remember that. You know why you just woke up? Because I cut your throat. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You woke up. Yeah, you threw it. Oh yeah. That, well, that, put- that was my first set I was on watching Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson. It's a pretty good movie. Like Brando is like out there, man. When yeah. He's, when he's dressed up he, with the old lady on that just, horse, it I mean, had, come that on, had man. nothing to do with the script. I know. It was he's just, just like, all out of the fuck. And, and I would go to dailies every day and watch Marlon Brando. He do they do ten takes of a of a scene, and he would do it ten different ways. I'm trying to remember. Your, oh, your brother was one of the guys he was chasing. He was yeah. He, he was in the the crew. He of, had an excellent scene. He had a, a great couple of scenes, especially you know we're bef- uh, at the campfire before uh, Marlon kills him. Right. Yeah. So that's how you got introduced. Yeah, and then uh, you know I, I got an agent Brandon? after about a year. I ca- was calling up casting directors and uh, you know just out of variety where it said films in the future, and I would just go in t- and ask for uh, an interview just because I, you know, because they the ones that cast a film, and then nine out of ten would say no, one would say yes, and so I'd go in, and uh, uh, finally I've about. I would look at my shoes for the first couple of interviews because I, I learned how to do interviews that way. Right. You know? yeah. And um, after about nine months of that, one of them called up one of those agents that had turned me down, and I got an agent. And then about two months later, I got a job. Did you meet Brando? Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually uh, taught uh, Brando a couple of chords uh, on the mandolin for uh, in the... He had to do a scene where he's playing mandolin. I kind of remember now, that. I play guitar, right. and uh, they said, uh, Marlon's got a learn to play mandolin anybody here play mandolin i just went oh i do i play mandolin <laughs> sure, sure like the not? wind I, yeah. of course i play it i didn't play mandolin but is it just the i bottom, did not play mandolin is it but the bottom, I, is it same tuning uh it no it's different it's oh, it different is. tuning and so i um you know i just went to the went to the music store i got like a chord book and yeah. learned the three chords that were in that song you know and yeah. uh you know, I got to spend an hour in his trailer with him. 
Oh, how was that? That was like yeah, you know, big thrill of my life. I could barely talk. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Was it was it weird? Well, it, as far as being starstruck, yeah, you know, sure. These days, you know, I I definitely don't get starstruck over too many people. But right. back, I mean, he was my idol right. icon, you know. And it was before he it went was totally guy. loopy, right? He never went totally loopy. No, he, no, he never he never did. He may have seemed that way to the outside okay. of the world, but he was he was not. Uh, he was a brilliant. He, he was a genius, yes. and he was he was also just a very sweet man too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I get to spend an hour in his trailer with him. You know, yeah. And um, did you talk, did you talk about? I, anything? I hardly remember. <laughs> I hardly you remember what like, we talked I'm about. I, I could hardly put a sentence together. But to you're showing a mandolin. Yeah, too. I'm showing a mandolin. So, you so got at to least watch I had it. something to like. <laughs> <laughs> something real to fucking hold on to. I guess that's a good point though about uh, about you know uh, you know what people in the world know about somebody and what people you know like you, you know it is sort of strange the assumptions we make. He's he was an odd guy, you know who you know was gifted and, yeah. and got old and got you know sort of like he seemed strange to. And, he, and, you know, there was a certain kind of alienation from the business for yeah. him because it was back in the day. He sort of invented the idea that you you don't go to award shows. Right, right. And, yeah. you know, yeah. he turned out that it had, you know, uh, what was her name that, that, that accepted the Academy Award for him. And so that that put him in the kind of sort of oddball category a for native, a lot of people. A Native American And then Mutiny up, yeah. on the Bounty uh, was, uh, that was... It sort of he was he was in Hollywood jail for uh, quite a few years for about twelve years huh. because that movie had gone so over budget and uh, and uh, they you know they pinned it on him you know and every other actor uh, idolized him because he basically invented modern acting I know which movie was it for you that kind of like made you like oh Brandy. a streetcar named Desire it's crazy right? yeah and on the waterfront like you know the- oh incredible. So you get to so you're out here like a, a year and you're meeting you're showing Brando how to play mandolin. That's exciting. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean that's that's enough for a lot of people. <laughs> and then <laughs> and, uh, what was well, the... then I got my first uh, movie was uh, called uh, Nine Thirty Fifty Five, the date. Yeah, and it's the date that James Dean died, and its effect uh, that it had on uh, on these seven college kids in Arkansas, huh. and it was. James Bridges was the director. I think he did Paper Chase. I mean, the China Syndrome, you might remember him from. But uh, a great director, and he was from Arkansas. So so it is kind of basically his story. Yeah. I remember the first time the camera came in on me. It was really quite intimidating, you know. And uh, they had big cameras back then. And they right. you know, had big, to have those film big cameras. huge lights. Yeah. So like, right before my uh, first take, one of those big Klieg lights, you know, that are about as powerful as the sun. Yeah. If, you know, in the wind, it just falls over about four feet from me. <laughs> so, and you're already freaked You're kind of spooked, you know, yeah. like, like a dog that's been kicked. You got to get wet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, that was a great uh, way to start because Jim was, uh, you know, he was very uh, protective of everybody and, you know, was bringing, because all the actors, it was our, First movie, Dennis Christopher's first movie. How'd it come and, out? Because like I don't know that movie. I feel um, like I should know. It, it. kind of came and went. Yeah. At the time, it was a very personal story. It was you know a movie of the seventies, right? And so there was you know, and you was, were what? 20s? It was kind of dark too. Yeah. You know, and uh, I was twenty one, seventy seven, twenty one. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. and that led to breaking away. Twenty three. I was twenty three. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
uh, that, uh, yeah, that, that, you know, that another nine months, got another job, you know, kind of like drive-in movies. I did a couple of those and, uh, AIG, you know, and, uh, then, uh, Breaking Away came along and, yeah. uh, that really changed my life and my career. And you were you playing a teenager? At yes, 25? I right. was playing teenagers up till I was twenty-seven. Up until I played Gordo Cooper, I was I was still playing uh, teenagers. Well, Breaking Away was like a huge movie because it was one of those yeah. movies where you know, as a kid, you'd go see it, right? And it was, it a, was a, such a surprise too. It's basically the I think you know they had they had those kind of what turned out to be the Brat Pack in the in the eighties, right? Uh, youth movies, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think Breaking Away was really the first of those. Yeah, because it was you and Stern, uh, Daniel Stern. Danny Stern, Jackie Earl Haley. He, he disappeared for a while, and then he came back. Yeah, very... Danny, he was fantastic. Wow, man. What a, yeah, I was so proud of him for that. I mean, he was out for a while, right? Yeah. Do you guys talk? We had a reunion uh, about three years ago. The Breaking Away really reunion? cool. It was like the 30-year reunion, and uh, you know, Dennis Christopher still has the the bicycle from there. And, no kidding. And uh, we got together, and it was. I haven't seen really him good. in much like I've, lately. Dennis and I have stayed in touch through the years. He played the guy who was obsessed with the Italian, right? And Daniel was Daniel, right? You know, what's weird is I can't really Danny remember. Stern. Yeah. So. <laughs> I can't remember the other team at all. I can't remember the the jockey guys. I know you guys were sort of the you yeah. know, the working class, the long right. shot. We were the locals. Right, the locals. We were, right. and I, I don't I, remember. You and, you know, and we felt like strangers in our own hometown right. basically were treated like that. Right. Oh, and I remember there was that scene where you're swimming in the quarry and you hit your head and it's so horrible. Yeah. So, if I, so and so that quarry, actually, that we were at, they, that was the quarry that they uh, built the Empire State Building from. Really? That very quarry, yeah. I just know when I went to look at that college, which I did after I got out of high school, I was like, this is where they did that yeah, movie. Yeah, and it I was like 100 saw... feet deep down there. I know, I went really? and saw the quarry. Yeah. I, there's a couple of them out there. Right. And they built the school out of that, too, that mm -hmm. whole Bloomington. Right. Like... So that's where it starts. So then all of a sudden- And, be, and also, Peter Yates basically taught the four of us film acting. He yeah. taught me how to be, you know, there wasn't a stage, you know, the camera's in close and it will read your mind. You don't have, really have to do anything. It don't overdo it. Well, you always have a tendency to want to like act. You you think other people can't see it, right? Because, and also, when you see yourself on film, especially for the first time, you don't you can't tell anything. Yeah, you, know? you don't see yeah. anything, right? But he he was you know, t I'd been cast for a reason because I looked and sounded like the like the guy he wanted to, you know, the character. In yeah, other words. and so. He told me how to be small. You were the troublemaker kind of guy. I was the guy that the you know who was like probably the most pissed off. Yeah, yeah, because you know I my days of glory had come and gone. High right. school football. football, right? That's right. Yeah, mean that old guy. man, Mike. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but it, it was such. And then when he came out, I remember driving to the theater, and my brother was in the front seat driving us there, and he goes, "Looks like he got a hit because the line was around the th around the block." That was back in the days when they'd have lines around the block. Sure, and people would just show up. You know, it was kind of mysterious. Yeah, you know, and then people would show opening? up. Yeah, as far as openings, you know, yeah. like 
audience could smell movies back then, you yeah. know, and I think they still can, to tell you the truth. Well, it's weird. I just talked to uh, Erwin Winkler, like, two weeks ago yeah. about the right stuff specifically mm-hmm. and about, like, the sort of jarring experience that, you know, you know, everything leading into that movie and everything about that movie, it should have been a huge movie. Yes, it should have. It, and, it, uh, I it love was a movie. dud at the box office. Yeah, it was made $2 million, and he which is know. a penance, you know, for, for opening weekend. And he couldn't figure it out. Oh, I know exactly why. You do? Yeah, there's... There's a couple of reasons why. Was it something competing? It was, a, it was an election year. Uh-huh. John Glenn was running for president. John Glenn, uh, none of the astronauts uh, had anything to do with the movie. They wouldn't get behind it? No, they wouldn't get behind it. Yeah. And uh, I, I th- just like they wouldn't get behind the novel. And I know why, because of Gus Grissom. The way Gus Grissom is... Tom Wolfe turned him into a um, literary device, you know, because they had this whole thing about the top of the pyramid. Right. And Gus, you know, he got up, he went up there, he had dimes in his pocket, you know, like he's- That's you real, know, you know, right? Like souvenirs. Yeah, and sure. Stuff. Yes, he did. But everybody else did too, okay? Okay. But to, to make a thing of it, but it was about the hatch. He was in the second flight. Yeah. He, uh, and the, you know, when he landed, the hatch just blew. Right. Right? That was- and they lost the spacecraft. It went to the bottom, and he did not get the parade that uh, uh, that's that all true. Shepard did. All true. This is all true, and uh, you know, uh, not even to go to the White House with it. So uh, he was disgraced so in a way. That's what Wolf would have you think, but that is not the truth. Okay. For one thing, that was the first time that they had ever had a hatch on a spacecraft. Before that, they were just bolted in, and the astronauts had all insisted that they have an escape hatch that they could blow with explosives yeah. and uh, and had a window, yeah. and also a window in it, So they, because they were pilots, I got, and yeah. they wanted control of it. Right. This one had some, uh, and, uh, but, so they sent it up and on its flight, but they had not taken into account the pressurization effects on those Hatches. explosive bolts. So Coming when he hit in. the water yeah. and the you know effect of splashdown hit the water and the thing just did blow because of it wasn't designed right. And uh, he almost drowned his you know suit filled with water. Right. He was about three seconds away from actually going uh, a thousand feet down uh, just like spacecraft. Right. Because it was gonna be dead weight. And uh he was saved and uh if he was so disgraced, if he was such, uh, uh, had blown it so much, then why did they give him the first Gemini flight? And why did they give him the first Apollo flight where he was killed there on the launch pad? But the re- I think he would have been the first man on the moon, to tell you the truth, because he was the best pilot that they had. Uh-huh. He was very calm and cool. He had an engineer's mind, and he was he was the one that was really, most of all, complaining about because it was such a hurried process getting you know getting to the moon yeah that uh, you know they skipped a lot of quality control getting there sure and uh he was the one that was complaining about it the most in so, fact he was complaining about the you know the wiring that they had in front of them in an oxygen oxygen rich environment and, uh, and sure enough they wound up they, they uh that's how they got killed uh, so so basically the the brotherhood of astronauts were like fuck this movie uh, well, I would say f- it wouldn't be so much fuck this movie, uh, but uh, well, Gordo Cooper, I was, I, I was lucky. 
because it just so happened because I'd read the book. I grew up in Houston, which is Space City. Yeah, Gordon Cooper was my favorite astronaut. Was a kid. I was right in the pocket of that age where they rolled <laughs> yeah. in the TV and you saw him going into space. They replaced wanting to be a cowboy or anything else. Yeah. And Gordon Cooper was my favorite astronaut of the original seven because he was the youngest. It was sort of like a rock and roll sure. astronaut. Yeah, yeah. I really like that name, Gordo. Yeah, yeah great. and uh, and then I wound up. You know, the book came out and it said if they ever do a movie, this I. Oh, I'd give anything to play him. Yeah. And then I went in to audition for it, and what do you know? I f- got it. Yeah. It was like the dream of a lifetime. <laughs> and then guess what? It's like they discouraged everybody from contacting their astronauts, you know, or whatever. Why? But, well, I, I guess either what? Either liability or suit or, oh, you right. know, NASA wasn't behind it and right. all, all the rest from the get-go because yeah. they weren't. NASA wasn't behind. It didn't really like the way Tom Wolfe had betrayed everybody as okay, well. Right. You know, Tom Wolfe was trying to create a novel with, right. with things. And so he needed literary devices with this whole uh, theme of the top of the pyramid. But turned out Gordo Cooper lived three miles from me in L.A. Come on. Over the valley. Yeah. So I called him up. Yeah. And he said, come on over. And he was the most generous, wonderful dude. And, he's, and uh, <laughs> uh, from him, I, I learned to fly because I, I was telling him, you know, I, I should learn that radio voice you guys got. You know, I'd like to learn to fly. So well, you ought to learn to fly. So he sent me over to Budwall in Aviation there in Van Nuys, <laughs> and I got my pilot's license while we were doing while we were doing the film on the sly. Uh-huh. And uh, but uh, I got. Um, you still fly? Yeah, I fly jets. Yeah, I fly Citation jets now. I kept I kept it up after you know that after we were be, there. That must be fun. Yeah, it was darn convenient. Yeah, let's put it that way. But uh, you have a plane? I've I've had. Three, uh, then I had a Bonanza single engine, which I really miss. But um, it just got to be, I would fly 400 hours a year, which is a lot. Yeah. And uh, for different reasons. But it just got to be how I was working so much and, you know, this and that, that, uh, you know, that dwindled down to like 90 hours. And it, you know, costs more to keep it. your right, plane sure, in a hangar sure. than it does to, you know, to fly. So, so. So hanging out of, with Gordo, did uh, so you got a real good sense of that guy. Oh yeah, and yeah. I you know flew with Jaeger in uh, in uh, a Bonanza over a, over the lake bed where you know used to where Ponchos was and out up there at uh, Edwards Air Force Base. Just he was on the set every day. It was like having John Wayne. I on bet. The set every day. Well, I, I love that's my favorite moment. Really oddly, of that movie is your moment. Uh, uh, on the press conference where, where, you know, when they ask you who's, who's the best the, pilot you ever saw. And you have that moment where you like, you're thinking of Jaeger, right? Yeah. And then you, right. you, you're looking at it. Right. But like that beat, I love right. that beat. Yeah. He's going to give the, it away. The and unsung he hero. Well, yeah, it was the guy that couldn't make it because he didn't have a college degree. Number one, they were looking yeah. for college degrees and, uh, you know, uh, Jaeger was the best pilot, and and Shepard was so good. Everybody uh, was, was so, really everybody good. Everybody was so. He and good. he and uh, Jaeger like yeah. hung out like every day. They'd be over there. You'd look over, and you know they had the hood of Sam's truck open, and you know they're going over the engine because Sam doesn't fly. He was afraid to fly. He had a thing. I guess he'd had a bad experience, but he didn't fly. He drove everywhere. Really? Yeah. So he had his truck. Yeah, and, and, and they'd be over there, and you know that's. Jaeger was from you know, West Virginia, you know, basically started out repairing lawnmowers. That's how he learned about engines. And so, he, you know, they loved engines. <laughs> so they just talk- They'd be over there talking to engines all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I was always- And Levon Helm, too, you know. Who oh, yeah, he's like, great. His, Got a stick of Beeman's? Yeah, a stick of Beeman's. I might have me a stick. 
<laughs> it's great. I think that was the first time he did. He acted too. I think his first. Well, the coal miner's daughter. That's oh, like, that's right. Was that after or before? No, I don't that know. was before. Oh, yeah. um, no, I don't know. It's Around kind of mixed same. up in my memory now yeah. a little bit. But I, I love that movie, and, and I thought the script was great, and I thought the comedic elements were great because there are like it, the thing that's great about that movie is it's a it's a great heroic story. Yeah. But there's a lot of comedy in it. Yeah, man. and it's become a classic in a sense then. But the original thing was why did it fail at the box office? Right. And, uh, so John Glenn was was running for president at the time, and I think that it had a lot to do with they were. And then Walter Cronkite actually did an interview right around the time that it was coming out. Yeah. And, you know, he was with the astronauts and with NASA and all that. And the way they portrayed the astronauts was as Boy Scouts, basically. They could do no wrong. And, you know, they were they were human beings, you know, yeah. who were out there you know, doing things we probably should, we wouldn't want our wives or, right. uh, you sure. know, f- sometimes friends to know. And uh, that was, you know, the press went along with it. Back then, you didn't have paparazzi out there right. following your every move, wanted to out sure. you. you know, and they like were they managing Kennedy the, yeah. and uh, managing the image. Too. Yeah. yeah, and they, you know, everybody's pretty. And, and Walter Cronkite, you know, these guys were heroes that had put their life on the line. They weren't used to being uh, celebrities, or yeah. And uh, so, uh, Walter Cronkite dissed the movie based on based on uh, based on that, and uh, it showed too much of their humanity in a way. Like the too much behind the scenes. Yeah, I guess he thought it was a little too one sided about you know the, the sort of extracurricular thing, uh-huh. and also the way, but really basically the way it had treated Gus Grissom, mm-hmm. and uh, and that you know I agree, I it? agreed with that. Uh, to tell you the truth yeah. about the, the way they had because uh, that's what people will remember, yeah. and he you know he gave his life right really for uh, the. He gave his life. You yeah. know, they went in there knowing that they uh, basically had a, about a fifty percent chance of dying. Yeah, every time they went up. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, that's interesting because, uh, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know that Erwin Winkler not considered any of this. You know, well, really. no, I'm, they probably did because they saw they saw it from you know as just another movie, and you don't you can't blame them. They're they're out to to make turn a book yeah. into a film, right? And. Uh, it was a perfect timing for the for the film, I I thought too. Yeah, it was right there, sort of when it came out at the you know at the, sort of at the beginnings of the of the of Reagan administration and um, the right time for it to succeed. You yeah, know. and I think actually uh, one of the uh, the towards the end of shooting, I think that's when the uh, one of the shuttles blew up. Was it that fact, early? Yeah. Huh. But I went down to, I remember going down to NASA for that. It was just for the research was great. You got to go in all those doors and say authorized person. Well, they let you only. in there though, so but they weren't supportive of the movie, but they still let you go down there and. Oh yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, there was you know we yeah. and we skipped the we didn't talk about the Long Riders, which I was fucking excited about. I remember because I was in high school still, and it was like all the brothers. Yeah, and it's fucking Walter Hill. That yeah, it's like you and your brother. Mm. And is there a third Quaid? Uh. Well, we have a half brother. His name is Buddy. Was he in yeah. it? No, he was. Uh, oh, so he was it, just born. Uh, he it was, was the about Carides. four years old. Oh, the Keeches well, and the Carides. Yeah, the Keeches. Yeah. Uh, it uh, two, and then the Carradine brothers. So three Carradine brothers. Right. They, and uh, and there's then a, the there, uh, uh, Chris Guest had a brother. Chris Guest, you know yeah, Chris. Sure. Guest from, yeah. And uh, and his brother. I just love the whole idea of it. I remember yeah. being a pretty good movie. 
It was a really good movie. Walter Hill directed it. And, you know, it's about the James Gang. Yeah. And um, that was one of the last of the great ones of, of that particular era. Sure. You know, when, that, when, when Westerns were going out of style, you still see some good ones every, every once in I, a while. Yeah, I just read a book about, there's a new book about the Wild Bunch, about the making of the Wild Bunch, and yeah. about Peckinpah and that whole trip down there. It just was crazy, man. Yeah, just going down to Mexico and just you know camping out and like do the yeah. kind of risks they took and like just how yeah. insane it was. Oh yeah, and like you know most of the guys he had on, he just he was tapped into that whole crew of stunt dudes and yeah. you know wackos. Right, and, you know, they, they all, do anything and they'd come in you know after a hard night. Oh yeah, and they just Sam would just ta- Sam just to recover would say uh, go build some track. <laughs> Go build some track for a tracking shot. He knew yeah. that would take at least an hour and a half, so he could get get, get, get himself get together. right. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever meet that guy? Uh, I actually owned Sam Peckinpah and and, and uh, Warren Oates owned a piece of property in Montana. Yeah. And Warren, I Warren and I did uh, Tough Enough uh, together, and we became good friends. And I owned a little piece of property in Montana at that yeah. time, but then. And Warren and I, he became kind of like, you know, kind of fatherly in a, in a way. You know? Yeah. And um, he had a heart attack at age of 51 and died with his boots on during, and uh, I bought his half of the place with Peckinpah. Huh. And uh, then Peckinpah died about 10 years later and I bought his half from his from the kids. So uh, I had their place in Peckinpah's cabin. He. Warren was down at the bottom, and it actually had plumbing yeah. and stuff. And beautiful place. And then Sam was up three miles up in the mountains. No running water. No plumbing. No, you know, electricity. You know, it got everything out of the creek. And uh, he had his uh, bookcase up there. He built the bed. Yeah, the bed, and he built it. Uh, yeah, and the the table, big, huge. Wonderfully made crap of such craftsmanship. Sure, did not a nail in it. It was yeah. all pegged. Oh wow! And uh, then this bookcase was there, and yeah, and uh, and there was a 1972 Playboy magazine. There was uh, uh, the Holy Bible, and I opened up the Holy Bible, and there's a couple of Polaroids in there of you know some of the stunt guys and, and uh, Warren, and then there's a picture of uh, Sam in his long johns on the side of a house, and he's got a he's got his holster on. <laughs> You know, and <laughs> so he's 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 got you know he's got his gun in there and yeah. uh, uh, great. And then there's the holster sitting right there, and then there was a uh, mason jar full of moonshine. Uh huh. That that's the and way so, he lived in Montana. Yeah, that so, was his vacation that, house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's nice you got an opportunity to spend oh, time with uh, those guys. Yeah. Uh, well, I never met Sam. Oh, he didn't? No, I never did, because every time I would go up there, he would be in town, I guess, at the Murray Hotel. He liked to play poker. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, but uh, Real character. Warren and I were great friends. I had that place for 25 years and just recently sold it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I love those. Uh, that I, I used to do a, like a Peckinpah Film Fest every year and just go through, oh. you know, all the way from, you know, Ride the High Country right. up, you know. Beautiful movie, all the way through. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, like, they're really wild. They're yeah. really trippy Fucked up man movie. Bring me to the head of Alfredo that Garcia. That movie is so fucked up. Dude. Yeah, that was Warren Oates' favorite Where movie. Where he's just talking to the head. Mm-hmm. He's driving with that wrapped head. <laughs> right. And he's talking yeah. to it. But my favorite is The Wild Bunch. Oh, it's it was great. just, uh, you know, it was a, as far as that, that era of the 60s, early 70s, uh, and, you know, that movie along with uh, Bonnie and Clyde of you yeah. know, really ultra violence that was in that film it was you know as art and uh 
It doesn't even compare that now. It's so a weird. Real that that would, Western man. It was, but, but it's so risque. Uh, you know, it was risque, risque at the time. But now you look at what's happening, and it's right. like it's nothing. Yeah, you know, what we see on television every day. You know, and, and reading the book about it, I didn't really take into consideration a lot of the kind of like this, these were guys in a transition period mm-hmm. in the West, like right. they were old timers. Right, you know, trying to adapt. Well, yeah, you yeah. you see a car. You know, yeah. where he always put it yeah. like an automobile, and in, in, in a lot of his movies, well, that you know, movie, the ballad, because it was, and that was sort of like about the end of the, exactly and the beginning of something else. It's like know? the Ballad of Cable Hogue with yeah. the Robards. It, that's all about a car showing yeah. up. I right. think it, there's a, it's, a scene it's a, where it's like, yeah, oh, it's, it's about over. the end of their world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, trippy man. I don't know why I keep saying trippy, but it's like it's deep stuff. It's deeper because yeah. it's trippy, man. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Well then, okay. We'll just I'm just going to pick and choose a couple because we're kind of moving through it. But uh, I remember the Big Easy because uh, you you put on the full uh, the full drawl. Yeah, you really kind of locked into the accent. Well, yeah, I wouldn't call it a drawl, but no. uh, uh, that was, that that, that uh, yeah that was that was a, a blend between a, a Cajun uh, like a you know patois type yeah. of accent and. Uh, and a uh, you know a, what they call a yat, New Orleans yat, right, which right. is sort of you know like close to like a Brooklyn type yeah, of thing, right. you know, way they talk, you yeah. Know, yeah. And so you put them together, and you know it kind of comes out like that. And I met four people that were like that in in uh, that had that accent in New Orleans. And it's that's not, how you, that, it's not very common, but that yeah, I met four people. And that's that. where you pulled it from. You I just, just kind of put them together, yeah, yeah, and just came out with that one. That was. I thought. I. I. I I'm kind of fascinated with the. You know the kind of darkness of New Orleans. I guess. Like yeah. A lot of people are, and I thought well, that that was a manageable way to uh, to move through it. Yeah. It was. You know. Had a lot of charm that yeah. movie to it, and you know, that's Tennessee Williams kind of like describe it. You know, has has had a rafish charm with uh and, but there was always a latent violence. Right. That would be. <laughs> Well, there's a, a darkness there. There's definitely sort of yeah. a something. There's something about the swamp and about the weird kind of a mix of peoples mm-hmm. and how they've evolved. It's a gumbo, you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's where the Quades actually came from, you know, because they were in Canada and they, you know, came down in there and they're back up in the swamps of Louisiana uh, because just to, to be able to get away. And, you know, and they were French speaking, yeah. And uh, there were there were uh, Native Americans up there, and it all mixed together, right? And also uh, Spanish. Right. Uh, who were you know, leftover Spanish, and uh, in fact, up until uh, like up until the 1930s, yeah, your first language if you were born there was French. It wasn't Huey P. Long when he became governor of Louisiana built the bridges over the bayous, and yeah. so basically they were secluded from the rest of the world up until then. Right, and I think that's what's interesting is these uh, these kind of people that kind of. Uh, you know, different types of people that kind of became one people. Right. It, it, it only happened, it didn't happen in a lot of places, but it sort of happened there. Yeah, it's really kind of a, more of what America is supposed to For be sure. like than in any other region. Yeah, you yeah. Know, well, you had black, white, yeah. you know, uh, Native American, and, uh, Mexican, and uh, just everything. So you've got some Native American in, in your family? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. You track that back? Uh, yes, I tracked it back. Uh, uh, my, my grand, you know, my grandfather, and then you know, back to that. They, they actually, uh, the Quades, uh, deduced um, 
they left Louisiana uh, for Oklahoma, I think, to escape the Civil War or to, you know, some draft thing. Uh, it, it, it's kind of, who knows? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 They, uh, they really, it wasn't their fight, yeah. I think. So that's how they wound up in <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, not going to die for this one. No. And then you, oh, that's right, you played Doc Holliday. Uh, yeah. That, that, that was, uh, gosh, I love that guy. It was Ooh, one of my favorite characters I ever played. Yeah, that was good. And that one was of good. the t- most difficult, I think. And that was with that was in the white. That was uh, with Cosner's White Herb. Yes, he, did he direct it? Uh, uh, maybe kind of half. You know, all the stuff that was uh, you know, shooting Buffalo and everything. But... Oh, Kasdan directed that. I yeah, didn't fucking Larry know that. Was, yeah, he tried the Western twice. Yes, well, uh, Silverado. Yeah, and uh, and, uh, and he, the White Herb. I think he tried to pack too much into Silverado. I think he tried to pack too much into a white herb to tell you the truth. Oh, both, I mean, huh? yeah, I, I, I kind of felt like um, it was too long. Yeah, and uh, it was also being made at the same time as um, uh, Tombstone. Yeah, which yeah. I think is actually the more accessible movie. It's a shorter movie. Well, it actually tells the story and you know tells it succinctly. And that's Kurt and, Russell. Yeah, Kurt Russell. Yeah, you guys are like you. You guys are two of like. I was it, actually offered that one too to do Doc. I was offered Tombstone and uh, and for I was Doc Holliday on both. Yes. <laughs> what did you think of Val's uh, version? I of thought Val here? was very good. What was his little tag? Uh, 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 you're my Huckleberry. Huckleberry. You're yeah. my Huckleberry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really he really went over the top with it. Uh, I, I liked it. I, I really liked, it. liked his performance, you know. And uh, and then he could just get mean. He really had that right about. Doc, I mean, I I learned everything about Doc. I I really kind of fell in love with the guy. Yeah, because uh, he was he was one of those guys. You know, he had tuberculosis, and you know, he he was gonna die. That's the reason he was out west. You yeah, know, he was a dentist, and the reason he was out west because it's the only place he could breathe. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and he knew he was gonna die. So in a gunfight, mm-hmm. uh, he could he could stand there and be calm mm-hmm. and aim and fire, and that you know because. That's usually what won the day, not being fast. Oh, because, because he, yeah, he didn't those care guys if he pull guns and they just freak out. Scared, of, you know, you're scared shitless, and you're just, you know, you're shooting everything. And uh, it's the guy who could keep his head and aim who would, and he could keep his head because he knew he was going to die. He was anyway. going to die anyway. What did he, he didn't care. That's wild. Yeah, and uh, doing him a favor. The rookie or the baseball player, you learned to play ball. Yeah, Jimmy Morris was on the set for. All of that too, which I really appreciated, and I thank God he was left-handed. And uh, great story, and which sort of reflected my own life at the time. Yeah. Uh, which because the movie's about second chances, right? And um, that movie was uh, really uh, got the ball really rolling for me. I mean, start with the '90s. I was, you know, kind of uh, my career was kind of going through a valley. Let's, Put was it, it? Parent Trap sort of started a new thing? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and but then the rookie uh, really cemented that, and it also came out back to back performance in uh, Far from Heaven. Yeah, oh, that was you were great in that. I mean, that's the thing; it's like so, uh, so uh, vastly... closet gay guy and a, and a and a major league pitcher. But you approach everything the same way, you know, yeah. in terms as an actor. You know, yeah. you kind of like figure... human behavior is a very always been very interested in about what makes people tick yeah. why are they the way they are and do you do you do you i guess you answer it with each character yeah yeah what would i do if i were that 
character, yeah. you know, and you sort of live in their shoes and their skin, but it's always you. Yeah. You can't get, you can never get away from playing yourself because you always are playing yourself. That's it's just true, that right? we all have everything that every other person has, all the same emotions, sure. all potentially the same reactions to those emotions, or, you know, the, these cliches about life because they're true. And, um, but you're always playing yourself. Yeah. Right. I, I guess that's true. I, I mean, because I, I, you know, I've done, I've been doing some acting myself and I'm always sort of wondering about that. But you're going to do some version of you're, you're, it's always. Yeah, you don't go to see like, you know, Vito uh, Corleone or whatever. You know, you, it's Marlon Brando. <laughs> Everybody knows that's Marlon Brando. It's like, oh, he disappeared into the characters. But though. some but, people do. No, yeah, but Marlon Brando just is doing a great job of that character. Right. That, that's true. Yeah. It's yeah. true. But some people seem to go through a, a tremendous amount of process in order to get places, you know. Yes. Uh, but and, I, you know, that's part of like learning of, of learning acting. And, you know, there's still like, I know actors that are still like that. Bill Hurt is very studied and everybody has their own but a he's like particular method. But the That's fun, the method. Everybody that, has their own way of doing things. Right, but the funny thing about Hurt is, is no, there's no more uh, a person that's more painfully Bill Hurt than Bill Hurt. Yeah, like like I don't yes, know whatever, exactly. whatever he's doing, he's always going to yeah. be like, um, you know, I, like he's yeah. got that intensity, yeah. the pacing. He's going to take it. He's going to like a simple question. He's going to take to some place. Have you worked that with you him? under? Oh yeah, I've worked with him twice. I just worked with him. In fact, I love the guy. I yeah. really totally love the guy. I love his point of view of life, uh-huh. and uh, um, I love his quirks. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I he, and he's he's a brilliant actor. Yeah, and he just feels so deeply about yeah. everything. That's and, good. Uh, you know, very sensitive human being. And what was it like working with like on that uh, that crazy Oliver Stone movie? Uh, with Oliver or yeah. with, with everybody? Uh, you know, I. Knowing Oliver's reputation, you, you know, played what a, he what, put other quarterback. Yeah. Were you? Like, yeah, I played a quarterback, that's right, that's Cap right. Rooney, yeah, yeah. and you know, the Jamie Fox is the up and cover. Right, you know? that's right. I and like that movie. I, it was great. I think it's the best football movie ever done. To tell it, you the it, truth, it didn't because feel it's like, so visceral, you yeah. really feel yeah. what it's like to be in the game. Yeah, you know, I thought Oliver Stone, you know, given his reputation, uh, uh, which was just a reputation in a lot of ways, right? That you know. A lot of people were going to get hurt doing that film, yeah. Yeah. and nobody did. Yeah, yeah, nobody did. He it's took a, care of everybody really well, and he made an incredible movie. Yeah, it's weird that that comes up again. This idea that the the general public makes judgments of people, and uh, you know, based on you know the information they get. But once you're sort of in it, and well, working, you know that joke. We call it we call him Taco because he makes great tortillas, and we call him this because he does that. And then uh, what do they call you? And it was well. You fuck one goat. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You're no, the goat fucker. You're the goat fucker. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, you know, it's really great to talk to you. And there, obviously, there's there's more to talk about. But I feel like the dog's got to eat. <laughs> <laughs> She's coming out. I guess your contract but, is out there. She's bargaining but, something. Uh, but the Todd Hansing, I talked to him years ago too. That who? now the Todd Haynes, the guy who did. Uh, oh yeah, like, far uh, from heaven. Yeah. Like, brilliant, brilliant guy. But when you work with somebody like that, who's got, you know, he's a very unique director. He's got very specific vision for that movie. Mm-hmm. He's making sort of his version of a right. Douglas Sirk movie. Yeah. Like in in the process of working with all these different directors, you, you, you know, do you find yourself? 
I mean, what what is the experience from director to director? I, I guess I am changed. always there as an actor. Yeah. This is what I learned early on. Yeah, is the actor is actually there to serve the director, right? Because even though it may have been written by you know from a novel by this or yeah. whatever, you were it's still the director is telling the story. Right, he's the directing. In fact, that's what it means. He's directing where the camera is, what the camera is looking at. Yeah, to tell the story. Yeah, and. Uh, so I'm there to serve him because I can't be making a different movie than the director. Yeah. That won't work. Right. You know, and I'll look like an idiot. Yeah. So you have to trust your director. And so that's, uh, I've been very, uh, tried to be very good about choosing direct, strong directors. Mm-hmm. I like strong directors, in fact, who will take me out of my comfort zone because actors have a general tendency, you know, to either have the same haircut they did in the yeah. last film, yeah. you know, or yeah. do the same things that they know will work sure. because that's their money, yeah. you know, like me, it's my smile. Yeah. But uh, a director who will take you out of your comfort zone and make you do things you're not comfortable doing. That's uh, the best. That's the best. That's and when that, you are the best, too. Well, like, in the, like you're right. There is some, you have uh, very specific Dennis uh, Quaidisms. But yeah. uh, but even this new movie, it's like all those become so malignant and awful. Even the things that like you know, <laughs> yeah, even, sort of use your, it. Your smile I mean, is just you know like, basically the first part of the movie. I'm playing the parent trap dad. Yeah, <laughs> and then things so, go bad. Then things go bad. How do you stay in character generally over time? Is it just I happen? just I just turn it on and off. Oh really? You know, I kind of st- first started to learn that with uh, work with Meryl Streep in Postcards from the Edge, and she was just like. You know the great Meryl Streep, yeah, and, and she is. But you know, she would just like she'd be like goofing off, you know, just talking. You know, we're just like having a good time on some completely different other subject, you know, yeah. that has nothing to do with the movie sure, yeah. or the emotion, appropriate emotion that goes with you know the scene that we're doing. Yeah, and you know, they say rolling, and we're still like, you know, it's like, okay, action, right, right in, right into it, huh? Just like that, and then. Cut right out of it. No kidding. Yeah, not, and not walking around in yeah, it. Yeah, and I tell you what, uh, it's actually easier in the long run to work that way because number one, you don't take your work home with you. Right. Which the last time I did that was great balls of fire, and I wound up in rehab doing that. <laughs> but and and number two, you just drop it like a hot potato, and then so that you can you you know you can go do what you ever have to have to do in your life, and yeah. you come back. And it it'll be fresh. In other words, it's I actually like it when I don't know what I'm gonna do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you'll be in the moment. Yeah. More that way. If you're not living it. Yeah. Like I I don't learn my lines. Until, I mean I may read the script about ten times, but I don't learn my lines until I until t- the day of Yeah. Sometimes during well, most of the time during rehearsal. Really? Unless I have a really long, long But you know speech. the story and you know the character. I just listen. You know yeah, it guy. makes you listen more right. to yeah. what the other character's saying so that, oh, you know, you, you know the response. Right, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So and it we, makes it more in the moment that way for me, and I don't have to, like, make up something. Yeah. I forget. I just kind of, you take all that stuff that you learn yeah. as, you know, as an actor, the yeah. technique, and, you know, learning about all those basics. Sure. And then you wad them up and throw it away and just let go. Right. You and they, are you sober guy? Uh well, I don't do cocaine anymore. <laughs> Good. That was that was my drug of choice. And in fact, uh the nineteen ninety uh I did, you know, thirty days or twenty eight yeah. days yeah. in there. And uh, I I 
I quit everything for like ten years. Oh yeah. You know, I did what I, I did what they told me to do. Yeah. And um, but then I um, I I you know started having a drink uh, yeah. about the year two thousand. Yeah. Alcohol was I don't like the feeling of being drunk. Right. And so you can manage it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's nothing to manage because I I you know I just like that. Yeah. You know, I get a little buzz, but feeling drunk, I I, I never yeah. I feel so sluggish and I don't like that feeling yeah. and. Uh, Cocaine yeah. was crazy. Can you even cocaine? Imagine? I would do until you, it was all done there, and then, you know, I'd ask you if you had some when I had plenty in my pocket. Been up pocket. for three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy drug. Right. Like as an older, I'm 55. You're older than me, but like the thought of doing it now is just like, oh my god. It's, it's, it's I look. Yeah, gotta, it's gotta look can, back. And can't go, imagine it. Yeah, you're up for three days talking about nothing to yeah. nobody. Yeah, it's or fucking... you do like the first snip of it, then spend the next 12 hours trying to get that feeling yeah, back and you again. Can. You know, and you then never you're just do. up. Yeah, then you're just up, and you got to be at work in an hour. <laughs> the worst. Not really great. The worst. <laughs> Build some track. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Great talking to you. You too, man. Thanks it was for really a by. lot of fun. Yeah. So that's that. How was that? I love that guy. It's like, you know, it's sometimes I'm in this chair and I'm looking right at a guy I've looked at on screen my whole life and he smiles and I'm like, that's Dennis Quaid sitting right there. I'm going to play some echoey guitar. I'm going to bring some more pedals up here. Apparently I'm going to be here a while. I will get some more pedals. But I'm just going to do this now. I am the three chord wonder. Is that all right? Is that a good superhero name? The three chord wonder. Here he comes with his basic blues power. Here he comes with his basic ability to play three chords in a thoughtful, kind of ethereal way. Look out. Everyone's going to take a pause because I'm the three-chord wonder. I distract them. They're like, is this song going anywhere? I don't think so. Oh, no. We've been tied up by the other superheroes. Yep, I did it again. Enjoy.